Welcome to the Ready Yeti Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. Hey guys, before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to take a moment to talk about the Ready Yeti membership. We've grown to have thousands of products from some amazing up-and-coming brands. Anything from skis and snowboards, jackets, hiking boots, even supplements and snack bars. It's an incredible way to save a ton on gear with discounts of up to 50% off. Join the Ready Yeti membership and do your part to help support some of these incredible small businesses that aren't just making incredible gear, but are also putting a lot of effort into social action and doing their part to create an environmentally conscious business. Join today at www.readyyeti.com members and start supporting these amazing startups and saving a ton on gear. What is going on, Ready Yeti Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, host. On today's episode, I am sitting down with one of the founders of Go Silly, Stacy Feely. Stacy, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Hi, you bet. Okay, so for the listener that may not be familiar with Go Silly, how would you best describe your brand to them? Sure. So we are essentially an alternative to plastic wear. And our whole mission, in the alternative being silicone, and our whole mission is to essentially really change the way consumers are uh, using various consumer goods, specifically in the tabletop industry. So we, we offer a silicone solution for uh, tableware, cups and plates and bowls, straws, which is a hot topic right now, um, all made out of silicone. It's reusable. It's durable. It lasts you know, forever, so you should never need another another one of, you know, a straw again. You should use one over and over and over again. That's really interesting. So you started this back in 2006. Did you always know at some point you wanted to start a business of some kind? Um, No, actually, <laughs> I did not. So um, my, my partner, the other co-founder, Juliana, we kind of have this classic story of, you know, two young moms who were having these babies and you know we were terrified we didn't know what we were doing we didn't you know we were so scared we were going to hurt them or you know in some form or fashion and one of the things that you do as a neurotic mother or parent I should say is you research and uh, research all these various things and we in our research we were realizing that there were all these plastics that contained all these toxic chemicals in it and not only did it have all these chemicals it was you know, there were these, you know, plastics that were being thrown away over and over and over again. And so we just started kind of talking one day and, you know, decided there's got to be a better way to come up with a solution for one, getting rid of, you know, the plastics that are going inside our kids' mouths, um, like a plastic baby bottle. And then two, cutting down on the excessive amounts of plastics being thrown away. So in doing that, we discovered that, um, you know, there, there was specific to baby bottles at the time, there was really only glass and plastic. And one of the things we wanted to do was to figure out a way to make a glass baby bottle, um, not shatterproof because it's not shatterproof, but how to make it sure. And so we started cutting up all kinds of different materials in my kitchen one day and realized really quickly that silicone has all these unique properties about it. It's, um, like I mentioned earlier, it's, um, it's got a really high temperature resistance. 
Um, you can boil it to sterilize it. It's hypoallergenic. It's it's um, it's incredibly durable. It doesn't fade. It doesn't scratch. And of course, there's no toxic chemicals in it. So um, we started cutting up all this silicone and skinning these like glass baby bottles and tossing them off the roof to see if they'd you know would break or not. And realized that we'd kind of found this like unique uh, material that we could uh, basically start skinning glass baby bottles. So that's really how we started originally. And since then, it's just completely morphed. <laughs> sure. No, that's really interesting. So how, how long did this whole process take? Well, let's see. Um, <laughs> when we first started, that was, like I said, back in 2006. And I would say by the time 2000, 2008 rolled around, the beginning of 2008, we were we were just selling. We were we were buying these glass baby bottles, and it was an even flow glass baby bottle. And we had uh, our silicone sleeves made that would go over them. And we would have like a group of you know people. I lived in a college town at the time uh, in uh, Eagle Rock, California. And so we would have all these college kids come over. We'd feed them with pizza, and they would like basically help us put the skins on the glass baby bottles. And then we would sell them mostly to smaller independent uh, retailers. But then in 2008, when Canada banned BPA and all of their plastic wear, well, all their plastic baby bottles, um, that uh, kind of sent, sent us on a trajectory. We got a call from uh, Babies R Us in Canada that said, oh, my God, we have to get rid of millions and millions of these plastic baby bottles because they all contain BPA in them. And you are the only one that, have a, that has a solution <laughs> at the time being. And so that really set us on the map. That 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 put us in the direction that um, that we needed to go. And then, of course, the market tanked, and we realized very quickly that you know the bulk of our business at the time, which had been um, smaller independents, and which were not only really important because they were talking about the brand, they were you know talking about the message of silicone in general and um, the type of material it was and the benefits of it over plastic. Um, we started to see those smaller guys start to go away, um, which was, you know, really, was really sad. And we realized that, you know, if we were going to really survive and scale the business, we had to, we had to really focus on larger distribution, but do it in hand with the smaller dependents, but also do it in a way where we could really rely on the mass distribution since, you know, the majority of the things that we were selling were, you know, they were like $14 that didn't have a high retail point. Um, but it was volume that was really going to keep us on the trajectory, um, as we were moving forward and trying to launch new products. That's really interesting. So in the beginning, it was partner, the focus was partnerships with big retailers that could move a large number of product. Did it sort of stay in that trajectory or did at some point it more balance out to, uh, direct to consumer and retail sort of partnerships? You know, it's balanced out now. What we've learned about, um, well, in doing that kind of balance is that while you need the larger retailers to help with the volume and the distribution, it's the smaller independents that really are the ones that are out there talking about who you are, what your mission is, what the brand's all about. They're the ones that are our biggest advocates. And so anytime we launch anything new, they're the ones that take all the risks. And it's incredible because then the you know big box guys come in and you know claim that they do, but <laughs> they they typically don't. You know it's it's usually these the smaller guys that are all about the innovation, want to you know bring it to the market first, and and it's it's good for us too because then we're able to 
through those guys really learn about what, um, you know, what the consumer is saying, what they need, what they want and, you know, what they expect from the brand, you know, most of the larger retail chains, you're not going to get a lot of that. You won't get that kind of feedback, you know? So it's whenever we launch anything new, it's really great to do it with our independents that are doing it alongside with us. For sure. Now, did you have any mentors in these early years, um, whether it was on the manufacturing side or just the business side in general? You know, we we had a lot of um, we had a lot of people that had you know would give us some advice and you know offered to help. And what we realized is, you know, at the time, you were, I'm much older now, but <laughs> 15 years ago. Um, you know, we were these like two young kids to a lot of, you know, these, these, um, individuals who had, you know, been out on, on the marketplace and a lot of them didn't quite understand what we were wanting to do. Um, and the overall mission, like it wasn't, it's, it's so weird to think about what it was like 15 years ago it, it, because you say, you know, single use plastics 15 years ago and they're like, eh, okay. You know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's crazy how much has changed. Yeah, even like, you know, BPA and what your plastic for thing. Eh, well, you know, I'm 60 years old. It's I don't have to worry about it anymore. It had it was that kind of mentality. It was just so weird. So, while we had a lot of advice from people that um were in the business world, not a lot of them um really understood consumer um and what that meant and how to get there. We didn't we just didn't have those contacts. So, we had a lot of fails, we had a lot of missteps, but we learned clearly along the way. And, um, you know, for every fail, we would go back and do it a different way the next time. And, um, and just found that by, by just going out and doing it, um, really was the way, I mean, you know, most people go to school for an MBA or something. And for us, it was very much, you know, as you do it that day, you're, you're learning right then and there. <laughs> sure. Definitely. So obviously one of the foundational parts of Go Silly is the sustainability piece. So I want to talk about that a bit on the, on the manufacturing side. So when, when you started out, I'm sure it changed over time, but how did you go about vetting your manufacturing partners to make sure that the products that you guys are making are also made in a sustainable way? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we, we've, we've gone through a couple different manufacturers and have, you know, and eventually, and again, over the time learned along the way, you know, especially when you're not on the floor with them every single day and you're not, and you don't see it, you know, that's really hard because then you're, you're, you're going on their word, right? So one of the, one of the factories that we've landed on right now, they, you know, we go over quarterly, we see them all the time. We're constantly on the phone with them. Um, we have all the various testing reports that we've done with them. We will actually, one of the things that um, a lot of the retailers do is they require, you know, various um, sustainability initiatives, which is great. So we have those kinds of requirements that the facility adheres to. But then we also have our own requirements whereby, you know, we're asking them, you know, what, you know, anything from um, labor issues to, you know, how does it, how, like, what is the time frame of pr production and what goes into it and what's the output and all those kinds of things. Um, and how does that break down and, you know, what are you using material wise so that we also, you know, that we're true to our mission. Like we don't use any plastic in um, any of our packaging and, and that's really important to us. And, you know, we've had to really work um, 
diligently with our factory who is so used to, you know, using a lot of plastic, one, so that things don't get dirty. And, and there is a use for plastic um, in certain areas for sure. But we just are, I mean, it's, it's in our, it's our whole mission to really cut down on the excessive waste. So we really try in every way to work with them um, to make sure that they are, you know, on, on point with our mission as well. I totally understand that. Now, I also remember reading that um, if a customer is, say, is done using your product, you you can send it back to Go Silly and you guys will recycle it. What is that process like? Yeah. Yeah. So typically most recycling facilities, they they can't um, recycle silicone. They're just it's it's a different process. And so they're not set up to do that. So what we will tell individuals is send it back to us. And we work with another facility out of New Jersey. And what they do is once we get up to a certain uh, weight in uh, the recyclables that we're going to send to them, we send it over to them. They, ta- they, they basically break down each unit. They pull out all, they melt it down. They pull out the siloxanes in it. And then a lot of those siloxanes will get used for greases and oils and things like that. But then the silicone itself, um, they basically burn it down and it turns back ash. Oh, interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> How, yeah. Is it a long process or is it pretty quick? It's not that long. It's pretty quick. Um, I mean, it's, I, I don't know the exact time, but. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I had no idea. That's yeah. how that works. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. yeah, most people don't, you know, and that's, yeah. that's, we're here. <laughs> no, that's very, Happy very to- true. Um, so tell me, what has the growth been like starting in 2006 to now being 2020? What, what does that trajectory look like over time? Sure. Um, so when we first started, again, we were just like two people just doing, you know, trying to figure out what the heck we were doing. And over time, and both of us, uh, both my partner and I thought, okay, this will be great. We've, we've got this project that we want to do and, you know, we'll work at home. We'll, you know, work from home and we'll figure out how to do it along the way and we'll grow small and realize very quickly that even just working from home as a side gig, that that was like out of scope, completely out of scope. Like it was, it was full time from day one and, um, a lot of energy and effort (laughs) that went into it, especially being from only two people. And, you know, initially we, we were bootstrapping the whole company and, um, we did a small family and friends round, um, early on back in 2008 and that that got us been going because at the time too, you know, the like I said, the market was tanking and nobody was going to lend us any kind of money. I mean, the bank we would walk in and they would basically like laugh and be like, "Oh, aren't you cute?" <laughs> and like, "Bye." Right, and right. So we were like, "Oh God, what, what do we do?" You know, and so we did a family and friends round. It was a small round, but it was enough to really get us up to where we needed to be to um, really tackle the. Um, you know, the ordering of products, that was the biggest, that was the biggest uh, chunk of money that we had to, that we had to raise. And from there, once we, you know, started expanding and growing, and once the line got to a point where, you know, it wasn't just glass, you know, baby bottles with silicone sleeves anymore, we had a whole line of products for kids, like, you know, cups and bowls and plates and spoons and things like that. And everything was out of silicone. And really also at the time we were, um, 
one of the only companies in that space, in the kit space, that was doing anything out of silicone. You know, there were companies that were doing, you know, like silicone nipples for the baby bottles or silicone. The bristles were uh, uh, made out of silicone or a silicone pacifier. But on, but aside from that, there wasn't a full brand that was just focused on that material as an alternative to plastic. So as we started growing in the kids space, um, we realized very quickly that not only are our kids growing up, but we've got all these parents that, you know, love the brand and, you know, we'd get these emails like, Hey, I, I want a cup for myself, but I don't want one. That's only eight ounces. I want a 24 ounce cup, you know? Right. And, right. <laughs> yeah. So as, as the company started growing and as our kids started growing and, um, you know, the, the variety of different, um, tabletop goods that we were doing was expanding. We started growing more into the housewares market and into the grocery chains. And, um, and over time, as, as we started to grow into these new channels and, um, put out more of, um, a more, uh, diverse line of silicone goods, we realized, oh gosh, we need to raise more money. <laughs> so, and doing that, we then went to a local group here in Michigan and um, we did a we did another raise with that group, and that really allowed us to launch a much larger line into a wider variety of channels. So you know, instead of being you know from kids, now it was housewares, um, rolling into grocery, going into some sporting goods arenas, um, and, and just a lot of different channels, which was really cool and exciting. And then about let's see, actually last April. We ended up partnering with another company called Evenflow, which oddly enough, we did this full circle when the glass baby bottles that I was originally telling you that we were taking and skinning, it was their glass bottles. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So we kind of came full circle, just, I mean, as life would have it. And um, they're now our partners. And what's been really great is they've got a a really large infrastructure that um, uh, we utilize. And so they've really taken the task of building out that infrastructure, um, making sure that all the you know uh, production is met, and um, really taking to task the bigger kind of infrastructure that we needed as a smaller company to grow quickly. So it's been since April um, a really good partnership. That's really awesome. It's so funny how that kind of just happens, <laughs> right? It's it's so crazy. Yeah, it's like a movie. It's like it's just but real life, and that stuff kind of happens all the time that you just don't even realize. You're like, wow, what a what a like a ridiculous series of events. I know. <laughs> um, yeah. So over the years, Ghost Silly's been around for a little while now. What what have been some of the the biggest mistakes that you guys have made up to this point? Oh gosh, I would say I would say some of the one of the biggest mistakes was not listening to our gut. You know, we'd have someone, whether it was a buyer or just an advisor, you know, say, Oh, you've got to, you've got to invest in, you know, like, well, actually I'll, I'll tell you one. So we had, um, one buyer who, um, you know, said, you know, I I really like this product and we want to roll it across all the stores. And we had, then we had an advisor who was like, you know what, you've got to just dump a lot of money, get all, you know, get all your ducks in a row and make like 50,000 units. And I'm like, oh my God, like fine. And this was in the early days and like, all right, we we can do that. And so we 
blew a lot of our cash on that. And then, of course, the buyer flipped over and we were stuck with all of the inventory. Oh, no. <laughs> and we're like, oh, my God, I, we knew we should have started it smaller. And, you know, but anyway, so I'd say that was and those were mistakes that we just kind of didn't even really in, in the back of our heads knew we probably should have, you know, you know, pulled the reins in a little bit. But I'd say stuff like that. And then how, how did you weather that? Um... You know, we yeah, so we we basically did um like a lot of flash sales so we you know sold it on like um you know those flash sale deal sites sure so you do things like that and then what we actually ended up doing is used a lot of it for marketing and that was kind of one way that we did some of our own guerrilla marketing we would you had all this excess inventory why not use that to you know send to people for samples you know to try out whether it was direct to consumer, whether it was to a buyer, whether it was at a trade show. And so we just, we used, we used a lot of it for our marketing, um, which actually in the scheme of things, you know, marketing budgets are enormous. And a large part of that, you know, all the samples and, you know, giveaways that you have to have on hand to, you know, get people to try your stuff and touch it and feel it and pick it up. And so that's what we really ended up doing with, with that. That's interesting. It's a smart way of making up for that big expense. And I'm sure you guys had to, to tighten your belts for a little while, at least while you worked through all of that. Yeah. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we did. <laughs> the fun <We> times. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and I, I, would, I will say, you know, it seems like, you know, everything um, as far as like your typical way of doing um, any, any kind of business building and development, we, we have never had success in doing it kind of the atypical way. It's always been this kind of roundabout outside of the box way of getting in the door or doing something where we've had some successes. And I kind of find that originally as we, you know, when we were first starting, you know, we were so naive. We didn't know the questions that we should, that we, you know, we didn't know that we couldn't ask certain questions. So when we'd ask it, people would be like, well, you can't ask that, but we would. And then right, right. Amazing answer, you know, <laughs> and, um, I, so some of that naivety I think is what really was successful for us. That's really interesting. And it makes so much sense. There's so many people that get into new industries, not knowing anything and people are like, what are you doing? And then it works. And they're like, Oh, interesting. Right. <laughs> right. Huh, they're brilliant. You know, right. I, it's know like... I couldn't do that. So I just did it. <laughs> exactly. It's so funny how it works. Um, so what advice would you give to someone um, that wanted to start a business, whether it was um, a physical product or, you know, in the outdoor space or just really a business in general? Yeah, um, I, you know, I always I, I typically just tell people it's just a matter of like, like getting up and doing it, whether it's like little baby steps. So many times, like, like people will get stuck in their heads and ideas in their head and they don't know where to start. They have no like. So, so they don't start at all, you know, like it's too, um, it's too jumbled for them to even figure out where do I start? But if, if it's, and it may not be that you're starting in the right place or doing the right thing, but it kind of doesn't even matter. Just as long as you start, you know, <laughs> as long as you start, just make that one little phone call. Cause then it becomes like this trickle down effect. You know, it's like you're opening one door here, 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 but it's, you just, you got to take the key and open it to begin with, you know? Sure. Um, so that's what I would say. I mean, it seems it feels like a lot of people um, have an inhibition to just even start. 
You know? Yeah, and then people are like, oh, that was my idea when they see someone else do it. Right, <laughs> right. Which I've done a, my fair share of times. <laughs> oh, yeah, same. <laughs> so where, where do you see Go Silly in the next year, five years, 10 years down the road? Yeah, I, you know, I really, really hope that, you know, 10, down, 10 years down the road, we are, we are a brand that's recognizable as a brand that is really doing something different and trying to make a change and just social habits, just the way people are utilizing goods. And, you know, for us, it really is about creating these tiny little social changes as to how you're using a cup or a straw. And I I would, I really hope that we are seen as a brand that's kind of helped push that mission along the way and down the road across the country. Um, You know, it's interesting. There's, when we talk to someone over the age of say 40, there's a lot of explaining, a lot of like, um, you know, questions that, that we get asked about, well, you know, why do we need to be so sustainable with these things or whatever? But then when you talk to like a 12 year old, they get it, <laughs> you know, like right. they're taught about it growing up. They're taught about it in school. They understand it. They see it like right there in their face and they just get it, you know? And so they have no problem. Like we have these silicone straws, totally reusable. You, you hold them up, you put them in a little tin, they go in your pocket. They're great, right? If you want to use a straw, they're really easy to use, right? And the kids totally, totally get it and understand it in a thousand ways. But an adult who's hasn't had to do that, they've got to like adapt, right? <laughs> and yeah, so that's very really, weird. really tricky. Yeah, yeah so... Um, in 10 years as, you know, population ages, I, I really hope that we're, you know, growing and still fitting into that, uh, lifestyle with someone who just gets it, you know, there's, they're automatically sustainable from birth, you know, because they're, they're being taught about it, you know, but I really would love it to be, you know, our continue to be our mission to also be a brand that is supporting that and, you know, going out and making change. Yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, our team was in Costa Rica during the fall um, for some photo and video shoots with some of our brands, and we would go to some pretty remote beaches, and you would still find yeah. plastic coming up on the on the beach, and you'd just be like, "This is just so depressing." <laughs> like, it's just everywhere. It's yeah. crazy, and you like yeah. we were we were hours away from civilization. And yeah. you would still have it like every, you would see it everywhere and you'd be like, this is insane. This is insane. It's, it blows my mind. The amount of people who, who are just like, you know what? I don't want to give up straws. I'm like, well, really? <laughs> I mean, why? Yeah. Right? Like, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> like, right. But right. yeah, I mean, that's yeah. part of the reasons why Go Silly exists. And I, I think that's a pretty awesome mission. And I'm, I'm excited to see all the things that you guys do um, in the future. And I hope that anyone listening to this definitely considers um, trying out Go Silly as a, as a replacement for their one-use plastics. And anyone listening to this before um, can, can actually enter to win some product from Go Silly and uh, just head over to Ready Yeti for your chance to win. And, and with that, I want to thank you, Stacy, for taking the time to come on the podcast, share your story, the story of Go Silly, and uh, really, really enjoyed it. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Ready Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.